and welcome to another episode of the Dice of Screaming Podcast. Oh. Ah, yeah, that's right. Deep and throaty. That's how we like it, and that's how we're coming to you. That's live. what she said. Oh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> hey, he went there, folks. Welcome. <laughs> Expect no less from the cheap flypaper of gaming podcasts. It's not very pretty to look at, but it, for some reason you stick to it. Yeah. <laughs> I think that sums us pretty well. Thank you. Just Thank as you well as the uh, literary two-headed Etten. The literary two-headed Etten uh, of gaming podcasts. That's still a favorite. Yeah. So, yeah, if you're still listening out there, Dave Aldridge, we still think about you often. Yeah. Often. Right on, man. But not touching ourselves while we think no, about No, you. no, God. No, no. Uh, the kimono is fully on. That's right. So, we got some announcements to make. Uh, we're going to be going... Weekly. And what does that mean? That means we're going to be coming at you once a week. Uh, we're not cutting down for any other reason than that we find ourselves very busy at this time. And uh, it's been a little bit of a chore to get out two podcasts a week. Yeah, we both have very specific days where we have commitments to various things. And uh, we've tried very hard to keep Tuesday and Friday open. I admit I've had a lot more trouble uh, just lately in these last few months, uh, coming out of the post-COVID lockdown, uh, I've had a widely varied schedule, and the <laughs> the amount of piled-up work is is more than a man of my middling years can bear. So, it it just makes sense to go for once a week, uh, nail it down as a very firm date. Yep, and. Uh, make whatever sacrifices are necessary to at least get one done per week without me winding up driving all over town or uh, keeling over uh, in mid-podcast. Right, so we're going to try to be bringing you quality content as opposed to before, which was uh, well, just a bunch of you know, <laughs> slapped-together stuff and uh, rambling diatribes about what we think things should be uh, or remembered them. That and uh, I'll be slightly less delirious, and I'm not sure if that's a strong suit or a down. Because, I mean, Delirious Mike has plenty of funny potential. Just like drunk D&D. Yeah, exactly. It, <laughs> friends don't normally let friends game drunk. Uh, and I probably should not podcast while Delirious from exhaustion. But I've done it anyway. <laughs> it hasn't stopped us so far. <laughs> All right, so, yeah, we got some call-ins. Uh, Joe and Jason both call in. So oh, we're going to cover those in normal uh, fashion. Uh, also, we've got a great little uh, show for you because we're continuing summer camp. So we're going to turn to the call-ins and then deal with them as they appear. So, Joe, you're up first. Yo, boys, you know I love it when you do these old module retrospectives. Uh, I just think it's fantastic. Dwellers of the Forbidden City sounds like a super fun adventure, some jungle exploration, awesome stuff. Uh, on Psionics... You know, a theory I've heard is why so many people think it's a broken system is because from a player's side, they have to ration out their psionic points throughout the course of an adventuring day, uh, whereas a monster saves up all their, <laughs> all their points until that final battle and then can unload all their points in one encounter. So it can seem like it's broken. But as far as from a player side, it's not. I think it works totally fine. But yeah, um, sorry I didn't call in earlier. I'm sure you've heard Anchor has made it a lot tougher to leave voice messages for people now. But great stuff. Keep it up. Peace out. 
All right, thanks for calling in, Joe. Yeah, man, thanks. Uh, it was great hearing from you. Sorry, uh, yeah, still uh, glad that you're not too sore about us forgetting your name. Uh, just going to kind of keep my head down because uh, I earned that. Yeah, um, no, we got... Uh, we got a lot of stuff about old school, but also new school stuff. So it's going to be coming at you. We're going to be covering um, Crown or Curse of the Crimson Throne here shortly, and this is bringing our summer camp thing uh, fully into view about talking about how to weave different elements and disparate uh, backgrounds and things like that into a narrative, yeah, as well as uh, keep the old school feel of just bashing down the door, kicking monsters in the tail, and uh, taking their loot. Yeah, very much a, a sense of, as the summer episodes and module and campaign examinations go on, it, it is very much about encouraging all the different types of play that are possible. Because in the case of some of these modules and in the case of some of the campaign settings, they really do highlight how many different directions you can go. Uh, and that they're all valid, okay? These are all great ways to play the game. These are all really fun uh, involvements for player and DM and like alike. And uh, very much a big, you know, like, open door, you know, try everything, you know, all campaigns have the potential for awesomeness vibe going on. Yeah, and, you know, we just want to touch base on some of the things that we think are Good from the old school approach. I mean, there are people who say that there was no story, so tonight we're going to be covering stories. So glad you liked the Forbidden City uh, recap. It's a great module. It's one of our favorites. And yeah, I I agree with you a lot about where people look at Sonics as broken from a point view, but I would also say the same applies to any uh, spell point system in a game where there's the same sort of thing, where there's just a monster sitting there or... Uh, in, enemy NPC adversary with spell points or signing points and they just unleash them all. I kind of personally set a limit to how much can be spent. I go with the uh, old Sinuses class. There's only so many points you can spend in a round and I think that is a good one for the monsters as well. So Yeah, they did improve the system as time went on. I mean, yeah, I, I think it was, uh, and now the Sionicist, and uh, they addressed that specific point in that issue. I think it was 82, Dragon 82. It was a big Sionics issue with just the focus, and it introduced the Sionicist class. Scott Bonnie. Oh, favorite. yeah, it had the uh, lovely article on uh, Catherine Kerr's High Darony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also how to uh, adjudicate psionics uh, with magic and a couple of others from Lou Polishipper. Polishipper? Polishipper. Yeah. Yeah, Raven, I know. <laughs> I'm going to moan on that one. Um, yeah, she's in the room with us. Uh, so, yeah, I think that uh, psionics are fun, and I sh I'm a big fan of them. I think that uh, it's kind of the fourth type of magic in Dungeons and Dragons and I really like it you know of course the three are uh divine arcane and of course uh if you really want to break down the door of the other one uh demonology necromancy those sort of dark arts like the death master NPC remember that guy oh yeah they got specialized spells but I still thought of them as like kind of a borderland between arcane and divine yeah and that's you know that there's the overlap where there was incantatrix also a very powerful arcane spellcaster in pc ah, that was also usable as a player character very fun to play um yeah so we'll 
we'll just uh, move on there. But uh, hey, uh, thanks for the call in, Joe, and just hope you're doing all right. Uh, glad to hear from you. And uh, let us know about the problems with that. I, I looked around earlier on Anchor and I didn't find anything. Of course, uh, I just found out that we were going to, I finally en enabled music support and I was all hyped to do that. And it didn't work out tonight, so I got to get a hold of them. Yeah. I know what went wrong because it's a kind of a catch twenty two where I they said you couldn't use it because you didn't have listener support enabled and now that we have it enabled, yeah, it's not now you can't use it because you do have it. Yeah, it's just it, all right. Enough with playing keep away. I want to hear funk number forty nine by the James Gang right before doing the show. Right, so that's because maybe. it would be awesome. But take care of yourself, and we'll talk to you again soon. Take it easy, bud. All right, and on to our next one. This one from Jason. Hey guys, I did catch your, your allusion to this this song about 40 minutes in. Great podcast on building plots and all that. I've just started a new campaign, that Greek campaign I mentioned to you in a previous call. And I'm rusty as a, G, a campaign GM. Running one-shots is one thing, but running campaigns is something totally different. So... I really appreciate it because you reminded me of a couple of small points that, you know, I, I knew and forgotten or maybe I never knew, who knows, but it was a great recap. So thank you very much. By the way, I first heard of the Highwaymen in this song by listening to Art Bell. I don't know, late 80s, early 90s, I guess. So, of course, Art Bell's not, no longer with us, but yeah, that's where I first heard the song. Anyhow, talk to you later. All right. Hey, thanks, Jason. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, glad you enjoyed that uh, podcast. Uh, we definitely enjoyed uh, recapping again. One of our favorites is uh, B2. And glad that you picked up on a couple of the uh, little breadcrumbs <laughs> we left there. And also the Highwaymen. Yeah, glad uh, that you picked that one up. Oh, yeah, that was a pleasure to hear in the background. Oh, man. Willie. Mm. Oh, and Waylon, rest in peace. And, well, JC. Well, yeah, the big JC. Uh, look, I'm... Not over that yet. Okay, I know, I know it's been a long too time. Soon. It, too soon. Too soon. Cuts too close to the bone. I'm literally made of like two thirds Johnny Cash. Yeah. So making that transition from just uh, doing one shots to a campaign GM. We are well. Uh, hopefully, you'll find tonight's episode also informative because we're talking about the same thing in our summer camp series. So uh, yeah, we're pairing modules with explanations of uh, plot and story know, element, which story and other you know elements of game building, game running, uh, just trying to highlight uh, both old and new material and how flexible it was and still is. Yeah, there's a lot of lessons to be learned and there's a lot of things to work on and to take from the old and the new together. So that's what we're trying to do here. But also, yeah, the the whole Art Bell thing. Yeah, I miss Art Bell. He's no longer with us either. So, uh yeah, I enjoyed his shows when it was about Alien, Sasquatch, Area 52, and, uh, you know, strange places like the Superstition Mountains. I remember one where they just had a whole bunch of callers talking about their experiences to the Superstition Mountains. And Oh, yeah, I love... I, well, I can't be trusted, though, because I will, like, if given the opportunity, dive headfirst into a hot bag full of crazy. So Yeah, but yeah. now it's like, like... Woo! You had me at crazy! Which also explains a lot about my dating life. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, but now it seems like it's all about anti-vaxxers, flat earthers, and weird, you know, 
247 steps to the Illuminati craziness. Yeah. Yeah, give me the Bigfoot stories anytime because, you know, if nothing else, I love the, the good spooky stories that would come out of that. Well, yeah, Lost Atlantis. Yeah, and, Lost Atlantis. You know, yeah. uh, ancient Lemuria. And I, there were a lot of way more entertaining, fun things that came out of, like, the Art Bell era of uh, Coast to Coast. Yeah, if I would just uh, uh, step out of the format for a minute, I think... Uh, Politis, uh, the missing 411, is probably the best inheritor of that right now. The missing 411. Yeah, the people who go missing. You know, his, uh, John Politis doing all the, uh... I haven't seen that. Okay, well, yeah, it's something to look up. Uh, all right, okay. but yeah, don't want to get too far off in the weeds on this one. Uh, it definitely is a rabbit hole, but yeah, that sort of thing, you know, it's fascinating. Uh, from not only just a conspiratorial kind of spookiness, but... Also, you know, there's a lot of uh, material that can be harvested for other games, like, you know, Beyond the Supernatural. Oh, and... I know you're into that one. Tales so. from the Loop. Yeah. Which, you know, is uh, lucky enough, it looks like they're being picked up as a miniseries of some kind. They're, yeah. They're being developed for uh, cable, or, well, some kind of channel. Right. So, there's yeah. There's a million of them. I don't know them anymore. Yeah, there's so much stuff of awesome coming out. It's like, literally... Yeah, we've taken over the world. So. A cornucopia of cool. Yeah, nerds rule. Um, so we hope you enjoy the show and uh, let us know your thoughts on it. But yeah, keep up the good work and thanks for the highwayman, man. Uh, glad to hear that uh, you enjoyed the B2 and you picked that one up. Like <laughs> like I quote Joel Hodgson from MS, MST3K. It's <laughs> like, not everybody's going to get it, but the right people will. <laughs> exactly. That is kind of our life philosophy. The, like, ah, you know, should we do a cut this deep? Do it! Yeah, the worst going to happen is most people decide, you know, I don't even know what they're talking about anymore. Yeah. But the ones who do, that's, this is for you. So you got it, bud. The Lou Reed philosophy, which is, you know, when they ask you, like, why would you write a song like that? Oh, I didn't write it for you, man. I, I, I wrote it because I wanted to write that song. You know, you like mm -hmm. it, that's great. If, if you didn't like it, well, that's too bad. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> everything I know about life, I learned from Lou Reed. All right, so we're not breaking away. We're keeping with the format, so we're just going to keep it rolling. Oh, good. Yeah, so we're just going to jump right in. And it's in, inspired by the Art Bell, is where we're going with this. Just like Leonard Nimoy, in search of the unknown. Oh, uh oh what are we going to yeah. find out? Oh, goodness. Well, uh... For starters, you know, like this takes us back to one of the uh, early modules in the monochromatic prints. Uh, so this goes back to the beginning of D&D, hitting the 1980s, you know, on the ground and running, uh, and trying to reach a wider audience. And during those first prints, uh, it was typical of those modules to include a great deal of pre-material to help prepare brand new DMs, kids who had just bought their first module or their first kit. Uh, there was an assumption that they had not played a great deal, and so all this helpful material was included in almost every single module. Right. This was put in the uh, original blue box of In Search Unknown. Mine didn't come with it. Mine didn't come with the B2, which I understand is something of a collector's item, but woe onto that because it was lost in the Great Configuration. Oh, yeah. But nonetheless, uh, yeah, In Search of the Unknown is uh, what we're going to be covering tonight, and specifically in our Summer Camp series, what we're t 
talking about here is story. Because a lot of uh, OSR guys say story doesn't really factor in as much. And well, here we are. B1, this is the introductory. It's by Mike Carr. And it is one of my favorites because it is like a dungeon workbook. It is two levels. All keyed. Now, this one we're talking about the monochrome. This is, uh, I don't possess a copy anymore. I mean, there's ones out there, but uh, those are the brown covers. We got the monochrome cover because we wanted to do super old school or, hey, that's what RPG, drive through RPG had. I have the fill in the blanks uh, brown cover. Yeah. And it's that, still the boy, same. is that tattered. Holy cat. Yeah. So we got uh, PDF here. We got pulled up. We're looking at it, of course. But, uh, what we're going to talk about here is the story. So if I can take the uh, wheel Go of right command. Uh-huh, yes. Spin, spin, a wheel of fortune. Oh, yeah. Now, uh, in Search of the Unknown, it literally opens up with an introductory section that walks people through the basics of what to expect as a DM and how to deal with your players. Uh, and worth mentioning is that there are several other sections throughout that are addendums to that, additional things to that are resources for the brand new DM, uh, and also pre-assumes that you may be dealing with a group of brand new characters. Now, just because it takes so much effort to walk people through the entrance of uh, to this, that doesn't mean there's no story or no plot or anything like that. Far from it. This module is actually rich in it. And that's where I'm going to hand it back to you. Oh, yeah. Because, well, thank you. Yeah, and because it reads here. No one knows what occurrence or coincidence brought these two men together. But tales tell of their meeting and forming a strong band of friendships. A union that would last for the ages. Uh Uh-oh. Well, this sounds like a intro for the advocate. Look, I'm I'm not... We're not casting dispersions at them. Yet. No, okay. We're not right. judging their lifestyle choices. So here's the standard background setting for all. I, I, I don't know how to tell you this, son. I, I feel like we have to have the talk. Sometimes when a warrior meets a wizard. <laughs> oh, yes. <all> right. <laughs> and we can make these jokes because he's out now, so we can. I can totally... Uh... When a warrior meets a wizard, son, sometimes things happen. And what goes on in the dungeon stays in the dungeon. Yeah, And until we're not they, judging here. Until they get back out alive and then they build a tower and set up lighthouse keeping. Yes. Um, so so this, the story here is, is on the back. They give you a player's background sheet. Now this is B1. This is back in 1979. And uh, Rogan the Fearless and Zeligar the Unknown. Well, we know him now, but all right, not up pull around. Uh, the apparently slightly known. Yeah, I mean be- maybe not well known, but at least like ever so slightly known. Okay. Yeah, uh, our legendary names. Even you, a fled young fledgling in a town far from the great cities of your world, know of their reputation. Even though their tale begins long before you were born, the elders and sages speak both names with respect, even awe in the distant admiration for the memories of these two legendary figures. And this sets the stage for you going here. Now, Karen, it, we're not going to read the whole thing here. You, It's in there. But the fact that this was a background sheet included to hand out to the players is telling that they wanted you to have a reason to go to this dungeon. Now, the thing I love about this dungeon, first of all, besides this workbook interior, is it has, what, about 40, 50 some odd keys on the first level and only about 20 some odd monsters to stock it with. 
Yeah, it's assumed that not every room is packed to the gills with stuff. Uh, lots of rooms in the dungeon, and by keys, what he means is little map symbols indicating a distinct area. Uh, and oh, yeah. you can pair a monster to each of those keys, the, the symbol indicating that particular area on the map. Uh, there were not as many monsters and treasures as there were rooms. There were, however, traps, tricks, and other things to populate, yeah. and random encounters and wandering monster possibilities. So, yeah. And they give you the instructions of how to use this, that it's your version of this dungeon. Yours is going to be unique, so you get to stock it however you want. Now, here's a list of suggested monsters you can add or subtract as you see fit. And in the truest sense of, like, a pick-a-path book, which was also a nascent art form at the time, here was a created module that could be played again with the same group of players. Like, you know, you, you move on to other modules after having played this one as an introductory, and your characters go on to great things or die horribly, uh, you start over again, you can drag this module back out, repopulate it, restock it, and start over again with a completely different series of outcomes and experiences. So, I, it, let's talk about way ahead of its time superior product, okay? I, let's not beat around the bush. That is what makes In Search of the Unknown such an epic find among the early modules released by TSR. Yeah, let's see here. The monsters, there's 25. It's a 50 room, so that means half the uh, rooms are going to be empty. Now, we say those rooms are empty. Each room is described in detail in here, and when I say detail, I'm not kidding. Oh, yeah, its exact shape and its precise contents are noted for every single room. And there are, there are illusions, there are tricks, and there are traps. Uh, there's also ones that the DM can have just happen, like blow out the torches. Um, and they also give 34 treasures that can be found throughout the place, uh, including a plus two spear, and of course, the ultimate DM dick move, the Bag of Devouring. Yeah. Oh, wow, a magical bag that we can put our excess gear into. Yeah, it never gets, it's like it never gets full. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, yes, the Bag of Devouring. Finally, some place to put that 8,000 coppers. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, 80 uh, gold. Nope. Uh, DM jerk moves are... Yeah, also, there. let's look here. We just pulled this one up. False map shows room and adjacent corridor in detail. Nothing else is accurate. Yeah, it <laughs> gets everybody's hopes up and has them, like, tearing at the walls and flagstones, trying to do something, making a bunch of racket, while the DM gets to enjoy making uh, random wandering monster rolls over and over again. <laughs> yeah, and so this uh, background sheet that you gave out to the players about... Rogan and Zeligar. Now, uh, this, this plays in again as you get further into the dungeon and into the other room. Yeah, there's a statue of one of uh, Rogan's uh, lovers in there. And uh, there's also tapestries. There's 14 tapestries throughout here, the two levels. And those 14 tapestries depict different things. Now, of course, the kind of way to figure out where they went or what happened is by looking at each one of these tapestries and the story it depicts upon it. Yeah, it's basically a chronicle of their experiences, their rise, and then, you know, if you're wondering, whatever happened to them? How come nobody knows where they went or whatever became of them? The tapestries hold the answer if they are examined one by one. Yeah, and, you know, they apparently they went to a foray into the lands of these hated barbarians, and then they disappeared. And so 
No one has found out what has happened since recently, and so just recently you and your party came into a crude map showing the way to the hideout of the two men, a palace apparently called Q or the Caverns of Quas Quentin, the real name of the place for those of In Search of the Unknown, with Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, uh, slightly less unknown once you finally learn the name of the caverns proper. So it's assumed that, you know, this is how your characters come to here. And uh, to help out, there's also a list of NPCs or other player characters that are pre-generated, ready to go. Oh, yeah. Henchmen, hirelings, uh, you know, NPCs, or buildable, you know, like, if you want to assemble a party from them uh, and have that be, like, literally hand people their stats and info right off the bat and launch into this dungeon... Boom. Uh, you know, here it is put together for you. Or if you want an oppositional party uh, to oppose the players, you can draw from this table and boom, slap one together in a hurry. Yeah, there's like, I love the names like, uh, let's see here, the cleric Nupo, Servant of the Bringer. What does he bring? Well, he's here. Frankie, and the hooded one. Oh, and let's see the fighters here. Weberen of the Great North. What is it, a guy in a toque? With a six pack. Hey, what's up, hosers? That's right, hosers. New problem, eh? Uh, yeah. And for hockey and beer. And my personal favorite, Trabellos. Boy, magician. Now we've got child endangerment on our hands. Jeez. Yeah, this this dungeon. What did somebody rate this dungeon G? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, and there's also some uh, there's some thieves here. There's a nice illustration of a fighter fighting two mummies, and you know the thieves climbing the wall, and one of them's looting a chest, and only one of the thieves actually helping the poor fighter fight off two mummies. Which, of course, as Mike quickly said, uh, you brought two thieves too many. Yeah, I, really, uh, a <laughs> successful team of adventurers rarely has time to keep their eyes on the behavior of more than one rogue. So, yeah, you, you've already exceeded your rogue limit for the party by at least two. Oh. But, yeah, um, also in the uh, the levels there is the infamous pool room. There are 27. The room of pools uh, is in here, and it's on the second level. But The uh, yeah, largest room on that level. Yeah, lots just pull of pools. pools um, lots of opportunities to mess with your players. Yeah, and when uh, uh, again, <laughs> each one of the rooms is uh, lavishly detailed, and it does. there are some uh, treasures and, of course, traps littered throughout that are set for you. But, uh, for instance, like Rogan's quarters, uh, personal quarters are rather simple and spartan, showing his taste for the utilitarian and... Oh, the rather, utilitarian. Utilitarian, I'm sorry. The regal. Yeah. Okay. So the curbing walls of the room are immediately noticeable as different from all others in the stronghold. Not only due to their layout, but also because of their covering. The walls are covered with vertical strips of rough-finished firwood. And these narrow planks run in single pieces from floor to ceiling. The construction is not remarkable, but nor is it fancy in any respect, but the result is strikingly pleasing to the eye. How barbaric is he? Even the wood has fur. Oh, yeah. Kidding, kidding, uh, tree pun. If any of the wood is I removed know, from... I know, it was sappy. Ah, uh, you just gotta <laughs> keep going. <laughs> We fell for it the first time. <laughs> right. So yeah, and it and it just goes on, but each one is uh, room is well um, described, and of course there's several things in here that you can find as well. You can see, uh, yeah, there are 
fixed item locations here and there. Okay, there are certain things that are uh, set in stone that are the unalterable parts. Uh, of course, that does not in any way impede the uh, DM from deploying any of the monsters or additional treasures that he yeah, might Yeah, you might have face. the plus two spear here uh, with a white. Yeah, you know, extra danger, which, boy, you know, you might want a couple of second levelers in the party before you, you go. Yeah, well, this is on the second level. But, yeah, so, you know, they have a little space there. It says treasure, monster, treasure, and location. And so there you go. The trophy room. Yeah. I still remember that one. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, you go through here. And, of course, the the premise is there's a two-level dungeon with even promises of another area beyond it or another level that can be developed if the DM so desires. Um, very important to point out that the size of this particular module dungeon uh, with its two levels uh, sort of prohibits the average player group from simply launching into it and cleaning it out in a single session. Oh, It, it is a guaranteed certainty that stops for rest, healing, food, and eventually leveling up will be called for. So... You know, right out of the gate, the players are dealing with something that will start introducing them right out of the right out of their infancy as uh, player characters to the complexities of deep dungeon delve. Uh, and it has it all. It's got the background story, the unfolding little tidbits scattered throughout the dungeon that piece together the tale, and uh, you know the traditional go in a hole in the ground and punch out some monsters, uh, combined with a somewhat more robust potential for longer play. Yeah, and again, the emphasis here is, this wasn't 79. This wasn't, uh, you know, some story module shot out in, you know, 1993. This was the, you know, this was the Protean era where, yes, we had uh, the Hill Giants, uh, setting of the Hill Giants, the Glacial Rift of the Frost Giant Jarl, and the Hall of the Fire Giant King. But those were kind of for, uh, assumed that you were already experienced somewhat in how to play the game. There was very few uh, ways that newcomers could just jump right in on that because they required some high-level characters to get involved with. And that brings me to a really good point, which is... For all that there are some claims that, you know, like, oh, you know, these things were set so you could jump right into them immediately because story wasn't a part of the game at all. Uh, wrong, wrong, and wrong. Uh, also wronger. Um, story was so much a part of the game that when published modules were first becoming a thing, okay, in the beginning there were comparatively few modules. There were settings. Uh, that people had a vague idea of how to work with, and then a very small number of modules. The modules were designed to be transplanted quickly and grafted into any campaign. Right. Because it was understood from the onset that everybody was already engaged in their own thing, with their own story, their own places, their own events already in motion, and you wanted to provide a product that wasn't, like, locked in stone. Like, well... There's no point in even playing this unless you're in this exact city, you know. Oh, yeah. Okay, that that was not their approach early on. It was taken as granted that everybody who was out there playing 
had their own backstories, their own ideas. Their everybody was doing their own little Game of Thrones or yeah. uh, their you know spin on Tolkien. Everybody was riffing their own special note, and the modules were designed to be useful to the burgeoning class of players who, you know, they may have their own thing going, but here's some pre-made material that also has some helpful tips on how to DM on the fly uh, and entertain players and keep the excitement and the mystery alive. Uh, and modules like this, it really stands out as one of those perfect examples where it had everything. It was trying to put all the tools that it could in one booklet and drop them into the hands of DMs. Yeah, and included in an introductory game, which was assumed, like it says down here, where is it? I think it's on the page. Five, oh, seven, eight. Yeah, using this module with Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. It actually has a little... Yeah, because it was initially designed both for basic and for AD&D. Yeah, basic was basically the first three levels, levels, and then you would graduate to advanced. Yeah, and that that would later become confusing for the uh, red box and blue box, the Moldavate uh, Cook editions, as they were, and Metzner kind of edition later. The BECMI, or Basic Expert Masters Companion, or Companion Masters and Immortal sets, uh, did differentiate from them. But <clears throat> they even have a mention here in the mythical world of Greyhawk the, where to set this. And they give you several options, which lends itself well to what Mike was talking about earlier, is that there was no one singular place that you could find this. You could point and say, well, we're not here, so it can't be there. No, it could be in the Barony of Rattic, the Duchy of Ten, or the Theocracy of the Pale, wherever. Yeah, the idea was to make it as accessible to players doing different things as possible. Uh, and I appreciate and understand that... Uh, you know, diving into a hole in the ground and punching some monsters in the snout um, is totally a part of the early game uh, and an extremely enjoyable part at that. Mm -hmm. uh, but it would be a gross mischaracterization to suggest that nothing deeper was going on anywhere. Uh, there were plenty of tables that did not do anything more complicated than that. Uh, but I would hazard a guess that the tables that played often uh, and that lasted a long while inevitably started doing more and more complicated things. Uh, I don't know if that was just us, but you know, like the impression I've gotten over the years from running into a lot of other gamers is that the experimental nature of the game uh, lent itself to people kind of stretching their wings and seeing you know, like how far can we work inside this framework? How, how many different concepts can I run with? Uh, and that sense of experimentation really permeated a lot of the early game material. So it would just be crazy to try to suggest that it was absent. <laughs> I don't get that at all. Yeah, and, you know, the the poo-pooing of story. I mean, come on. I love a good story, yeah, especially if it's not too intrusive, okay? When a story becomes a straitjacket, it has become a liability. But when a story has become uh, just a collection of spices, like, you know, who wants to make curry? Well, oh, I suppose we could have curry if we got rid of all the pepper and like all the ginger and all the other spices and you know, I would chase all that. Out. Well, now we're just talking about stew. Uh, and it stopped calling it curry at that point, dude. Uh, no, it. in this case, all those other ingredients make it better. 
And, you know, we're going to talk about how story not only can become like a straitjacket and how to navigate your way out of that, but also talk about the ways in which you can use the story as Mike just described as a spice. And here it is in full example for us to see. And if you get a chance to find yourself a copy of this module, this adventure, go ahead and do it. I would recommend even because, you know, you might look at it as well as for basic D&D. Hey, there's a lot here going on. And if this is your first time playing, man, yeah. this module alone. So was Keep on the Borderlands. Right. This, mean, you, basic does not mean like, if we're not talking basic bitch with pumpkin spice here. Okay. okay if true. We're, we're talking basic D&D, which had as much potential for awesome as a D&D. And there's so much here that you could hook a campaign on. Now, literally, you could keep expanding the levels underneath the Caverns of Quask Quentin more and more, making your own new levels and making this a mega dungeon. So here you go. Here's your walk-in. Yeah, they planted the seeds of this, like, right here, explaining to the players, like, here's an option for you if you would like to do this. Uh, and since you've just learned about maps, keys, legends, uh, and you know, randomizing uh, wandering monsters with residing monsters, as well as traps and tricks. After you have worked your way through the first two levels of this dungeon, you really have all the ingredients to build your own classic style D&D dungeon for the third level and the fourth level. Where do you want to go with it? It's up to you. It hands the ball to the player. Yeah, which is my, which is my favorite thing I remembered about it, because that's so much potential. They gave you all the tools right out, out of the box to start you on your career as a dungeon master. And here it is. The expectation of being a dungeon master was just no mere coincidence. It was an undertaking. You have a lot of work to do. You have to learn. You have to, the rules. You have to be able to interpret them. And also they teach you right off the bat, as every uh, module of these times did, how to compute experience, uh, ways to be an effective dungeon master, even how to uh, handle problem players who speak out of turn by initiating a caller. And if there's too many players, as like it says here, uh, you know, uh, first of all, it's crucial to keep in mind that D&D is a game based on player interaction and player choice. The game a lot generally follows the course of a player's actions, if not always their plans. As moderator, <laughs> you present an ever-changing situation as it occurs. Sort of like an unfolding story or even a movie, if you like to think in those terms. And the players respond pretty much as they desire. And setting those expectations to you clearly and effectively helps the Dungeon Master become not just a moderator, but part of the story as well. Because you're creating the scene, you're uh, handing them a situation, and how they react to it is completely up to them. You're, you don't have an end in mind. And that's an important thing, I think, in story gaming where people do poo-poo it is that they are right in this, is that if you have an end in mind, of course, if the end is just to get, you know, survive the scenario so we can continue on with the story, that's fine. But it's Oh, yeah, that, that's an uncomplicated goal. Uh, however, if, <clears throat> say, for instance, to, to deliver an example of a right. highly convoluted goal, uh, the only way the DM will be happy is if this story involves the player characters going to this very specific room acquiring this very specific person, and then unfolding these very precise, limited actions with that character, and only that resolution will count. Uh, otherwise, this module is a complete failure. Okay, bad idea. 
Okay, now you've become a straitjacket. Everybody has to move very carefully and draw right inside the lines or the plan unravels. It doesn't work out. Um, that's okay once in a while if you have players who totally understand what they're getting into, but it should be used with incredible sparingness. Yeah, you need to have NPCs that are willing to interact with you, and sometimes players are not going to take the clue. They're not going to want to go to that place. Yeah, if they're including a random element, sometimes an NPC with critical information can have a bad reaction to a player's approach. Maybe they decided to come on like bully boys and like, yeah, we'll threaten the information out of them, except that they don't take threats well, boy. Yeah, and now you've turned a ally into an enemy, and yeah. now you have to re-narrate or recalculate. Hey, that's fine. That's what a dungeon master is there for. Find a way around it. But I'm sometimes, perfectly willing to hose players with their own bad decisions. Yeah, and sometimes that's the risks yeah. of being a bully boy. You know, it the straitjacket of storytelling uh, can be too harsh if if you have allowed it to become this like you know winding cloth that slowly strangles uh, and you know the, choice and they, they wind up looking like a mummy. You know, just yeah, because. but. It doesn't have to be like that. It can be the spice of life. It can be the the interesting part of a of a thing. It, if it provides the characters with an intro that catches their attention, uh, drops tidbits along the way that are like just little sweetmeats that they unwrap. Yeah, like, like the tapestries in this. Leads them a little further along, like the tapestries. Yeah. Uh, you want to know more. And then. You know, I'm not saying the ending has to be fixed, uh, but there can be elements of an ending that are relatively... You know, yeah, solid. you could complete it and bring it back to a sage with these tapestries, as I suggest, and it can be worth even a greater reward that leads you to more clues about their ultimate fate or to other things. Um, that's the point that you want to get at, is the, these were very loosey-goosey endings in the first place because the story ever goes on. Yeah, I mean, allowing it to, you know, be something that you can fold into any campaign setting that you happen to be playing at the moment with your players and their collective experience. Yeah, a good example of this will be Palace of Silver Princess, which had a clear ending. Ah, yes. I I have a copy of it. Yeah, that. yeah. So we'll I be reviewing... Recently acquired. We'll be reviewing that as well and putting that kind of... I think one of the first things we're going to start talking about is doing a head-to-head -head comparing Palace of Silver Princess to... Curse of the Crimson Throne, because they both involve princesses. They do. Okay, uh, and it does show you that, like, as far as the genre has come, there are certain classic tropes that are, not only is it not bad to reuse these tropes, it is outstanding to reuse these tropes, to yeah. find new and interesting ways to incorporate classic pieces of mythology and classic archetypes. No, by all means, do that. So it's, it's not a cardinal sin to have an end. And it's not anything to have a story involving the players that gives the DM a kind of, I want to say like a fuel for adventure that provides not only motion forward, but provides significant and meaningful interaction with the environment rather than just, yeah, it's another damn room. <laughs> you know. <laughs> You know, that each... How many of these trapezoidal rooms are we going to run into? Yeah, the yeah, my apologies. Probably the uh, apologies from Mike Carr should be made to anybody who had to be the map mapper for this level. Because okay, these yeah. 
these uh these rooms are complex they are not just like standard 10 foot by 20 foot rooms some of them get pretty bizarre in their dimensions the triangle chamber <laughs> oh, uh, do you like giant ovals you know just... yeah you know you know okay there's many shapes here <laughs> oh, the yeah. elongated trapezoidal room what oh man i left my angle at home <laughs> jeez uh so yeah i didn't know we had to bring a mechanical draftsman yeah i know it's uh, uh my drafting class all right so as we talk about the things in here uh one of the things that is classic with this is the legend table uh, that's in here i'm gonna scroll up here for a second. yes this would be the table of background rumors uh which we have mentioned in other modules before and were what we consider a classic feature of some of the early D&D modules, some of the best of them, the Table of Rumors. And in this case, it's the Legend Table, and it encompasses knowledge that the players might have acquired uh, by talking to people before they make their journey towards this dungeon. And per usual, some of it is not very trustworthy. Yeah, that happens. I mean, uh, even like uh, Apple Lane and uh, RuneQuest. But yeah, we got to talk about that again. Um, yeah, Apolline has another uh, very varied rumors table, which most of which is uh, malarkey. So, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's fun when players latch on to something that they heard and go with it and just let it go. But uh, you know, like there is a room with many pools of water within the complex. The very walls speak with visitors. An enchanted stone within the stronghold will grant a wish to anyone who chips off a piece of it and places it within their mouth. Yeah, good luck with that one. Uh, <laughs> uh, troglodytes have moved into the complex in the absence of normal inhabitants. You know, the place is protected by the gods themselves, and one member of any party of intruders is doomed to certain death. Yeah. Oh. Could be true, could be false. You don't know. And under no circumstances do you tell the players which are true or false. Yeah, however, I like the uh, determined legend rumors known. Each player character will cast a four-sided die. They say cast. In secret conference with the dungeon master. Hmm. Is this an Illuminati? Yeah. We were talking about Art Bell, right? And then you get to let the players decide what they share with each other. Okay. Right. Yeah, you tell them. And so, like, one through three is one, two, three legends known. And with four being no legends known. Which, you know, like, so the guy who, like, rolled a two, knew two legends, I rolled four. What do I know? You know nothing. Nothing. Bogus. Of course, I'm the kind of jerk who, like, if I'm playing the rogue, uh, set up a deal where everybody pays for everybody else's secrets, and then just make some crap up of my own <laughs> and let them think I got four legends. Yeah, I got four legends. How about that? Like, five gold piece per legend. I will share... My, my hidden dungeon info with you. Five gold pieces per legend. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, um, it's sometimes overlooked because people think keep on a borderlands, but I think be one in search of the unknown, narrated by Leonard Nimoy, <laughs> should, uh, should be getting a bigger uh, acknowledgement, especially going forward, where we see that the story here is pretty, not that the story in B2 is anything to off at at all i mean it's pretty much right there it's a classic adventure location and this one can lead you right into a locale that's an adventure in and of itself with 
the players wanting to explore, not just to get loot and glory, but to find out a story. There is something hidden in here that they could find out. And nothing is a greater lure. Notice, like in video games, all the Easter eggs and all the little secrets they hide that make, even now, you explore every little corner of a map. Yeah, there is a reason for that. I mean, it, it's baked right into it, and these modules take us back to the era that inspired the early video game designers that started dropping those hidden Easter eggs all over the place. Yep. Like, oh, you didn't look inside the fireplace on level three in the room with the wooden lintel carved like, uh, you know, a, a prayer uh, shrine. You know, you didn't look in that nook and cranny? Oh, well, then you didn't find the magic so-and-so that totally would have helped you out two levels later when you're getting stomped by an ogre. Oh, curses. Uh, yeah, it, that kind of mentality emerged out of D&D first and then became a staple of video games. Yeah, Crystal Castle. I'm looking at you. Yeah. Yeah, that old video game, yeah. Whew. Anyway, um, I think we pretty much wrapped it up. I mean, you can uh, download it yourself... Uh, Drive Through RPG has a nice uh, monochrome copy, and I I rather like it. And I seen some bad reviews while I was looking at it. I'm like, what really? the heck? Yeah, some guy said, oh, it's a terrible copy. Look this at is how. Why I never read the reviewers. Yeah, I think that uh, you know, it, like, look, it's it's board cranks. Uh, how can you be upset about that? I mean, it's a it's a perfectly legible, clear copy. I, I see where yeah, I made the critical mistake myself of like reading reviews on uh, Tomb of Horrors uh, on YouTube. Oh boy! Uh, you know there were. Well, you read the comments on YouTube. There you go. Yeah, I, first mistake. I broke my cardinal rule. No, uh, but the the reason I dived in in the first place was that it was somebody. You know, there was a bit of a question of like, why would anybody make or use a dungeon like this uh, these days? You know, it makes no sense. Why is this even being, you know, reformatted for the current edition? Oh, yeah. And I have to confess, there's a certain truth there. There okay? is. Because there is, of course. The but... style of gameplay has radically changed over the last 40 years. Uh, it's just true. So in, mm -hmm. in 45 years, the game has matured a great deal. And I'm going to say good things about some of the direction that players take these days on average. Uh, they tend to go for playing as a team and getting the experience of working together as a group out of it. Um, in circa 1978, you and I remember running into a lot of experiences where you got metagamers and power gamers who got way out of control very quickly. I mean, the slightest advantage at all, and they wreaked havoc inside your campaign. Yeah. And in our era rolling the clock back, having a module like the Tomb of Horrors was a necessary component of being able to start a campaign over again, uh, hit the reset button, humble the arrogant. Uh, it had a role and a purpose, and it was beloved because of that. Uh, everybody had a tale of like, no, oh, my like 18th level paladins or stomp evil totally got annihilated in that, you know. Uh, yeah, I totally died. I don't understand. There's no saving throw. I just died. Yeah, I like, you know, I, I touched a portal and I was annihilated and that's all that happened. You know, uh, just gone forever. Yeah. That was totally 100% needed. And it's looked back on with a sense of uh, cherished affection as like an old nemesis that means well. Uh <laughs> 
Now, that era has passed. So when somebody comes on and says, you know, I don't know why they would do this these days. You know what? I'm going to let them have that. I'm going to let them have that. But when some other people popped in afterwards and just like, it's such a crap module. I'm like, no, 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 no. Uh, it's not crappy at all. Uh, it, it may be viewed with fear uh, and hatred by those who don't want a DM yeah. to have the tools to curtail them. But it is, it, it is a good module. And I think because there's such a wide variety of human beings and wide variety of game styles and DM styles, I think people will still find a use for it, even in this era. Yeah. It may not be as essential as it once was, but it makes a nice whole part. It's a well, great way to close the curtain. Well, yeah, and uh, but, we wandered a little bit off yeah. on this, but uh, anyway, we hope you enjoyed our uh, little uh, side ramble there. Thank yeah, you, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, like for people who just cast their hate upon the Internet, uh, even on things that are very awesome, then I, I have no particular use for them. Yeah, but, you know, um, if you liked what we talked about tonight, of course, you can download the crap and, of course, abuse that subscribe button so you can get our weekly... Slap it, tickle it, call it names. Yes, it deserves it. And uh, you can it be likes. notified when we uh, put up a new podcast, and so you can also uh, send us some um, voicemails and let us know what you think, because you might have some questions, comments, and concerns. But also, you can get a hold of us on our Facebook page and get a hold of us there, leave us some comments and likes. We like that. We're all about liking likes. And, of course, you can also comment there, and we'll talk about you as well. Oh, oh yes. yeah. We'll say terrible things. Terrible. No, no, no. no. Scurrilous we'll rumors. Nice things about we will, you. We will develop a legends table and roll for random rumors about oh, you. Oh, now that's seen. Now, there you go. Now, now you're, you're talking, talking right? man. Yeah, <laughs> you see, that's using that Don't old. Don't you? Yeah. Oh. All right, so... But without further ado, we probably uh, bent your ear a little too long. We hope you enjoyed. I definitely enjoyed having the uh, and look back at uh, B1 and also B2. But we'll keep it going. And uh, without further ado, of course, we're going to cast off here and weigh anchor. So we'll see you later. But in the meantime, may the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya. See ya.